You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Let's get you set up for the conference championship games with a good friend of the program, Sage Rosenfels, the former Vikings quarterback. Sage, thanks for taking the time to join us once more. After the miracle in Minnesota, undeniably Case Keenum has validated that he's going to be the starter next year for the Vikings, even if Minnesota doesn't make it to the Super Bowl. But how do you think they're going to handle things financially with Keenum? Oh, you know, I, who knows? I actually ran into the Vikings contract negotiator on Saturday, uh, just randomly in Minneapolis, and we sort of talked about it. And he said, you know, they really haven't discussed it all that much. Uh, you know, they're just so focused on this season, getting through this season. You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, Case Keenum could tear his ACL in the first quarter of this football game and, you know, throw any plans that they may have, you know, for a loop. So, you know, Case Keenum is one of those guys who has, in the old-fashioned way, earned his way to get to where he is now. And my guess is that, yes, the, the Vikings will pay him and, and pay him very well, uh, but it will still be some sort of earn-it contract. He, he has proven it in one season that he you know, is a very good NFL quarterback. Uh, but, you know, to, to get a huge, you know, $125 million contract with 50 or 60 or $70 million guaranteed, he's going to have to prove it a little bit longer than that. So my guess is it will be a big number next year. And then after that, if he plays well, uh, then he'll be getting paid, you know, after that. But if he doesn't, my guess is that the Vikings will have a way uh, to get out of future years if for some reason Case Keenum ends up being a one-year wonder. But if he pulls off a Joe Flacco where he goes out and plays really well and take him to a Super Bowl and win it, you think they may try to give him a big deal. Not as lucrative as some may think, but something well enough to, to let him know he's deserving of it. But how much of a monkey wrench has he thrown into the mix of how they actually try to figure out who's going to be the quarterback next season by how great he's played so far? Yeah, you know, I, what's, what's really interesting is, and you brought up Joe Flacco, you know, he had had, you know, what, four, maybe five years of pretty good quarterback play or very good quarterback play than won that Super Bowl and, of course, cashed in. Case in a different situation, one year, right? So I think that's where the, the situation's a little bit different. The thing is with the Vikings is they absolutely love Teddy Bridgewater before his injury, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago. I mean, they were in love with him. I mean, the, the quarterback's coach, Kevin Stefanski, you know, I remember talking to him saying, now, I'm on the Teddy Bridgewater train, love this guy. You know, he, he's, he's going to be a really good quarterback for a long time for the Minnesota Vikings and in the NFL. He tears the ACL, and I think just nobody, nobody expected Case came to do this. And so uh, there, there probably is a little bit of leverage on the Vikings side because of that, you know, because they, they, you know, whether it's, general manager Rick Spielman or head coach Mike Zimmer uh, or, or their, you know, whoever their offensive coordinator is going to be next year. Uh, they like Teddy Bridgewater as well. So my guess is they're going to try to get him back too. And uh, that's a little bit of leverage if for some reason Case Keenum is looking for that Joe Flacco-type contract. Uh, they may say, you know what, we're just not going to go all in on a guy who had a one-year, uh, one sort of one-hit wonder. we got a guy, Teddy Bridgewater, that we absolutely love. So there's a little bit of leverage on the Vikings side in this situation. Sage Rosenfels is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Sage, I'm not trying to be a hot take artist here, but is it fair to point out that both Case Keenum and Nick Foles have wound up playing in the NFC title game after they stopped playing for Jeff Fisher? Is there any cause and effect there? Yeah, yeah, I think there is. I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point. that If you look back at Jeff Fisher's time with the St. Louis Rams and the L.A. Rams, that 
uh, you know, he was a defensive guy. He's an old, you know, old school Bears guy, right? He played for the old school '85 Bears, who they had one of the great defenses, if not the best defense in the history of National Football League. But their offense, other than Walter Payton, what uh, really wasn't all that exciting with uh, with Jim McMahon at the helm. So uh, that's sort of in his blood and his DNA, and it's pretty obvious that he just kept missing on you know coaches uh, with that offense. I said, whether St. Louis or, or L.A. So uh, I don't think he appreciated you know, how, how important a really good offensive coordinator is, one that's not just detailed, not just demanding, but you know, extremely creative and understands how to use you know, different weapons because they had weapons on that football team with L.A. and, and they obviously didn't use Todd Gurley. Uh, who was an MVP candidate this season? They obviously didn't use him and all his abilities. He isn't just a just a tailback. He can catch the football in the backfield. He can do screens. He can he, he called him. I remember catching a him catching a seam route at some point early in the season. The guy is multidimensional, and it's you know a good offensive coordinator nowadays. And we saw it with Sean Payton the other day. You take advantage of all the players and all their different uh, abilities, and it's pretty obvious that Jeff Fisher was not hiring offensive coordinators that took advantage of the talent they had on that roster. Give me your understanding about where Andrew Sandejo is considering the concussion that he uh, ended up getting in the early part of this game. You think he'll be healthy to come back uh, for this weekend? Well, you know, I'm I'm just an analyst, uh, you know, watching the team, right? So I think that's going to be a question for, uh, you know, the – uh, you know the 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 doctors and, and trainers and everyone that's you know diagnosing him and, and working with him right now. My guess is he's gonna get tests every single day. And and the hard part is that you know Zendejo is one of those sort of old school. I don't know if he was undrafted or a seventh round draft pick, but one of those guys who has worked his way up from practice squad to the roster as a special teams guy. Uh, and the reason he's on the Vikings and, and starting is because he's a hard hitting safety. He throws his body, uh, which includes his shoulder and his head all over that football field. And uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, he swings to the fences a lot. Sometimes he misses, but a lot of times he connects. So he is, uh, you know, he uses his head a lot in the, the way he plays the game. And, uh, you know, so, the, so my, this is probably not his first concussion. He's, I'm sure he's been hitting the head his fair share. So usually it seems like, from what I've noticed in the past, the guys who play that way, it does take them longer to come back. Uh, and, uh, and it might not be a bad idea uh, you know, to, to hold him out. And, and obviously he's a very good player. The Vikings would miss him, but they have to do with one, what's in the best interest of him and his health. Uh, and two, uh, you know, they've got, they would have a bye week if they win the football game this week and allow him two more weeks to recover before playing probably the new England Patriots, but you know, new England or Jacksonville in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you're ready for the conference championship games coming up on Sunday with Sage Rosenfels. Let's move to the AFC. We know that Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback of all time, but Sage, how much confidence do you have the Patriots are going to move the ball at will against a very tough Jacksonville defense? I, I do. I think that you know Josh McDaniels and Brady and, and Belichick. They, they, you know, everyone seems to just want to say, well, is this the end of the road or is there turmoil going on and, and just sort of come up with things. But at the end of the day, this is their seventh championship game in a row. You know, I fully expect them to win this football game and, and get the Super Bowl. Yes, Jacksonville has an outstanding defense, but the Patriots have played some pretty good defenses this year. And, and here they are, you know, really fairly easily uh, in the AFC championship game. So uh, I, I just don't see Blake Bortles and that offense allowing uh, you know, are uh, uh, scoring uh, you know that many points uh, than the Patriots this week. Uh, you know, Belichick he's going to go to his his old school game plan, which is take away what 
Jacksonville does best, which is run the football and force, you know, really the worst player on that offense to beat them, which is Blake Bortles. And, you know, the question is, uh, can Blake Bortles, even with advantageous, you know, coverages, you know, beat uh, this New England secondary and, and beat Tom Brady on the other side? When you look at this this Jacksonville team, they've done everything well in spite of Blake Bortles, and when he doesn't turn the football over, they're 10-0. and 0. Is that enough to be able to go into New England and actually be able to try to squeak one out because no one thought this team would be here because of Blake Bortles? Yeah, you know, I think that what, what Belichick is going to do is he's going to load that box. He's going to load the box, and I, my guess is he play, also plays a lot of man coverage uh, to make all the throws contested. You know, if you play – you know, off coverage and, and allow sort of free access to the wide receivers and tight ends. That allows for easier completions. My guess is that they'll try to take away the run by loading the box, but also, you know, playing up and up in your face, man to man type coverages. Uh, so, you know, every throw that Bortles makes has to be on point. And he's not a very accurate quarterback. And, uh, you know, he's not Drew Brees. We saw Drew Brees slice and dice in the Minnesota defense who played that style. Uh, I don't see Bortles being that type of, you know, having that type of accuracy consistently over the course of four, uh, you know, four quarters up in New England in really bad weather. Um, my guess is that over time he'll, you know, either miss a lot of throws or he'll start throwing the ball to the other team. Taking around the league with Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, you ended your career playing for the New York Giants. As you watched Eli Manning compete this year, where do you think he is at this stage of his career? How much effective football do you think he has left? You know, I don't know. That's, that's a really good question, and I'm a huge Eli Manning fan. And and I, I think what uh, you know what was hard for me to watch this year was, you know, he, he's never been a mobile guy, uh, but it's become more and more apparent at the end of his career that uh, you know that that's a part of his football game, which is you know getting worse, and that, that happens to most quarterbacks. Uh, but uh, you know, in this day and age, with the way the league is, you look at the, the best quarterbacks in the league, and other than Tom Brady. Uh, you've got guys like Aaron Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson, uh, you know Matt Stafford. These guys are moving around, and you know they're very accurate within the pocket. But when things break down, they're they're creating a lot. Uh, you know that's one of Case Keenum's you know, really you know greatest strengths is the ability to to make the play when the original play isn't there, and that's not Eli's strength. Never has been. Uh, when he was a in, you'd say an elite quarterback. Of course, the question is, isn't Eli an elite quarterback? But when he was in his prime. They were running the football with that awesome offensive line with Sean O'Hara and Chris Snee and Kareem McKenzie and Richie Soybert and David Deal. He had those guys for both of those Super Bowls, and uh, and you know that that offensive line is long gone, and they have not replaced you know uh, they have not replaced with guys with players that anything resemble any of those five. So uh, when Eli doesn't have a good offensive line and a running game and then the play action. He's not a very effective quarterback, and he just, just the way he is, you know, just sort of is, he's not one of those guys who can really make the guys around him much better, like, say, Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. Sage, when you look at what's going on in Pittsburgh, a lot of conversations being had across the board, whether it's conversations coming out of camp about Le'Veon Bell's new contract to Ben Roethlisberger going from one extreme to the next about staying or leaving to Todd Haley and, and, and rumors of maybe he may not be there, to even uh, Coach Mike Tomlin and, and, and hear rumors about him. Give me your take on what's going on in the landscape around the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. 
Well, you know this as much as you know as anybody. That organization, sort of like the Giants, has just been a you know as, as consistent as you're going to find the National Football League since their inception. And for the most part, they've always done everything right, and you know just sort of a you know first class uh, you know organization. But for whatever reason, the last couple of years there just seems to be uh, you know more you know talk and, and and more you know sort of issues that come up. You know, you know, calm locker room issues or media issues or whatever. You know, things you know leaking out that uh, you know don't happen in the, in the best organizations. You're, you don't hear things like that right now in Minnesota. You never hear, you know, really much. And you know, with the uh, New England Patriots, but you know, and I love Mike Tomlin as a coach. Uh, they've got tons of talented players on that football team. Le'Veon Bell is, is an absolute stud. You know, obviously Brown is, is probably the best receiver in the National Football League. Uh, but uh, sometimes talent. Uh, you know, what comes with that, you know, big egos. And it seems like there's some really big egos on that team. And for whatever reason, Mike Tomlin uh, is failing to sort of rein all that in uh, and, uh, and keep a team first. And there seems to be some guys who are, uh, who are stepping outside of the team concept. And, and he's going to have to figure that out. I think, you know, if, if they fire Mike Tomlin, I think it's the dumbest move, you know, ever. But uh, uh, he's going to have to find a way to get this team to put team first and, and, and you know, those individual uh, awards, whether it's accolades and, and things like that or, or big contracts. They take care of themselves in the National Football League if you put, if you put team first. Stage since you also played for the Dolphins, let's wrap it up in Miami. According to reports, Jay Cutler wants to play at least one more year. You got Ryan Tannehill trying to come back from his latest knee injury. How do you see their offseason quarterback situation? I, I got to assume if Tannehill's healthy, you know, he'd be the guy that's back. Uh, you know, he, in his first year with Adam Gates, he had the best year of his career. His rating, QB rating, was in the high 90s, I believe, 95, 97, something like that. So, you know, he, he was looking like the guy, you know, sort of like the Teddy Bridgewater situation, you know, a guy that the team liked but was really improving as time went on. So he looked like the guy who was, you know, going to be the man of the future. But, and, and I just don't see, you know, with Cutler and, and that fan base. You know they didn't uh, they didn't play they didn't do anything special this year. Obviously, there was games where their offense it was just a joke. I remember Adam Gase saying a couple of times during the season that their offense was pathetic. So uh, even though if Cutler wants to play again, I, I cannot imagine the Dolphins wanting uh, wanting him back. And my guess is they're going to go after you know Ryan Tannehill, but they could be going after you know somebody else. There's going to be there's going to be a name or two other than just draft picks, but there's going to be a name. Uh, or two out there that surprises people. Uh, you know, shoot, Case Keenum's a free agent. What happens to him? Uh, could can Teddy Bridgewater, uh, you know, be be taken? I mean, could he, could he go back home? You know, he's from the Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, would he be a guy they like more than Tannehill? So there always seems to be a name or two that surprises people. And I guess the Dolphins will be interested if they can't uh, upgrade at the quarterback position. Sage, we always enjoy the conversations that you're kind enough to extend to us on this program. Thanks again for coming back on the show and hope to see you in person when we get to the Super Bowl in Minnesota. Hey, thanks. Can I, can I ask one question? I want to ask Cordell. Cordell, what was, could you compare? Were you, were you thinking about that? Help me. I, I grew up watching your Hail Mary throw, uh, you know, against the Michigan. Could you compare what you saw with Stephon Diggs to uh, that, that Michael Westbrook connection? Oh, man. Uh, say that, that's a good question. Because um, the feeling I got watching that, that play happen, um, it, it was about as crazy uh, as that one was for me in, 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 uh, in Michigan. But this is what I'll say. The shock factor on Case Keenum's face was probably the same for maybe five seconds longer uh, than mine was. Um, it's like the ball goes up in the air. You see it gets tipped. Michael catches it. 
and now it's a reaction. And, and, and what's the reaction? It's almost like you pause, like somebody hit you in your throat, right? Because you're playing around, and all of a sudden when you get a chance to scream, it, it just comes out at the highest level. So that one, I think, you know, it, it both had probably the same different significance, of course. Uh, both were wins, but this one catapults this team to an NFC championship game. But I have to be honest with you, Sage, man. If you've ever been a part of something like that, to where the the, the the outcome is not just a win, but maybe moving you up in ranks in college to, to even get into a NFC championship game, dude, it took us a while to come off of that high because we had to play the Texas Longhorns the next week, and we were all drained the next week having to go down to Texas and play down in Austin. So it took a while to get our feet back on the ground, but it's exhausting, to be honest. And, and, and I think from 1 to 10, uh, both plays probably about a 13 to me because uh, you never imagined it happening and it ended up happening. And uh, not to, you know, two great guys, by the way, just so you know, Sage, two great guys, myself and you Case, and Case Kingdom. Kingdom. Thank myself you. Cordell Modest, as always, Sage. Thank you for feeding the Eagle once more. <laughs> Sage, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us again right, on the guys. NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, Sage. Okay, thanks for having me on. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on TuneIn. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! The National Football League is on. Tune in.